Hello, I'm Greg Campbell. And I'm Jeff Kaplan. And you're listening to the Urban Advantage Podcast. The official voice of the University of North Texas at Dallas. And the Southern Dallas community. Welcome back to the Urban Advantage Podcast, the voice of UNT Dallas and the voice of Southern Dallas. I am Jeff Kaplan with the UNT Dallas Marketing and Communications Department. I'm here with my co-host, Greg Campbell, and we've got a big, exciting show. We're talking politics today, Greg. I can't wait for this discussion. You know, I've been thinking about this all this week as we are getting to the run-up for Super Tuesday watching what's happening in presidential politics, also seeing what's happening in the U.S. Senate race here in our own state. A lot of very important topics, a lot of very important issues, things that make a difference. You know, I, I reflect on my own personal life. Jeff, how did you first encounter politics? You know, Greg, I, I am a very political person now. Uh, I will admit this, I'm 49 years old. Uh, but it took until I was in college, really, to get political and start to see the outside world from, I guess, the bubble that I grew up in uh, and and really uh, honed in on, on the beliefs that I, that I still hold today. I, I am, I will put this out there, I am a Democrat. Um, I, I believe in those ideals. And uh, this election, like for many people, is very, very important. And one thing that we have at UNT Dallas is very reflective of the voting base that can be so important in this election is we have young voters and we have minority voters. And the past, the history of these two groups traditionally is that they don't show up at the polls. And so that is something that I am very, very eager to find out is if these groups are going to go to the polls because they can have a dramatic, dramatic uh, impact on who is not only elected from Texas, but who the next occupant of the White House is going to be. You're, you're absolutely right, Jeff. You know, the, the importance of the youth vote, the young adult vote, is so critical to this race. This is almost a, a, a race of the lifetime. Yes. You know, I reflect, uh, I'm a, a little older than you are, <clears throat> so I'm a, I'm a uh, product of the student and college demonstrations that time and that era, yeah. uh, which was very, very political time frame. Um, I grew up in New York City, and, and my first encounter with politics was working with uh, the Neighborhood Improvement Program, really being a community organizer and organizing uh, around a program that was created by uh, Mayor John Lindsay to you know, deal with just real local kinds of issues, cleaning up trash, getting trees trimmed, uh, making sure that abandoned houses were cleaned up, uh, making sure that it was available homes for people that needed homes. Yep. So that was my starting point. So it's really important now for me to see how young people are going to engage because in my era, when we got to college, you know, we were right into the middle of Vietnam War and all the other things that were going on during that time period. So it was critical for us. We were daily, weekly, monthly having protests, you know, getting signs up in front of there, speaking to people, hearing speakers, becoming very, very politically active. And I'm hoping to see that kind of enthusiasm break out in our young people today. Yeah, we're, we're definitely in a different era politically. And to talk about that, we've got two very special guests with us today, both UNT Dallas students, and I will let them uh, do the introductions. Hi, my name is Thomas. Uh, I am a UNT Dallas sophomore here. I am a political science major. 
I aspire to be a lawyer and one day a United States senator. And my name is Edelina Resendiz. I am Dallas native. I'm from Pleasant Grove. I'm a junior at UNT Dallas. My major is political science with a minor in sociology. And I, as well, like Thomas, aspire to be an attorney. You know, I, I'm so glad that we have uh, these two students here with us today. Could each of you tell us what attracted you to, first of all, be political science majors? You know, what, what drew you to that kind of a major? Um, well, for me, actually, being being it that I also grew up in Pleasant Grove. Um, PG? Yes, PG. sir. <laughs> uh, being that I grew up in Pleasant Grove, one of the biggest things for me that I had always <clears throat> noticed uh, in my neighborhood was the presence of police officers. Um, cops always there. And for the most part, I always felt that being that I'm African-American young male, my biggest fear in life was to be afraid of police officers. So what actually drew me to politics is one day in elementary school, I thought to myself, well, what would be a good solution to my fear? How do, how do I fix the underlying fear in my community when it comes to police officers? Um, and as I, as I pondered on this and I thought about it hard and, and I thought about it for a long time, my first ideal was that the biggest way to kind of fix the criminal justice system in the United States is to address address it from a political standpoint. Look at it from how does the politics in the United States affect our criminal justice system and how can I help to change that? Wow. And this was elementary school for you. Yes, sir. Um, I will honestly say my first encounter with a police officer that, real, that made me realize that I was afraid of police officers, I was um, seven years old and I was sitting at a park with my cousin on, a, on our bikes and we're just again. We're just seven years old, uh, two uh, young black men, um, kids, kids, sitting at sitting at the park, and these two cops just walk up to us from their uh, patrol car and start questioning us, asking us what we were doing, asking us if the if the bikes that we were on were ours, where where did we get such nice looking bikes? And at that point in time, I had already known that from the moment they walked up to the moment that that encounter ended, that something bad was about to happen. So from then on, I've always kind of like examined my surroundings when it comes to police officers being around. Wow. Wow. What about you, Herlin? Um, What attracted me uh, to become now a political science major was um, the fourth grade when I was a fourth grader and we were going into war. Um, I didn't understand why we were going into war. I would see adults you know, um, I freaked out about going to war. Um, and I started asking questions to my fourth grade teacher at the time, Miss Parson. And um, she, I would just ask, why are we going to war? What if I don't want to go to war? Who can I say these things to? Who makes these decisions? Well, can somebody else make these decisions and not go to war? Um, and at the time, uh, during his presidency, he also created the Homeland Security um Department and my mother at the time was undocumented. Mm. So we would see on the news um, reports of um, kids being separated from their parents. And, you know, I was scared. So I started asking questions who makes these decisions? Can I make these decisions one day? And if I can, what are the steps to get me there one day to make decisions to help uh, communities and individuals like myself that have the same stories? Yeah, wow. And so that was probably around 2003 in the yes. aftermath of, of 9-11, mm-hmm. going to war with Iraq. 
um, which turned out to be for reasons that uh, weren't necessarily uh, true. Uh, and, and so brings us full circle. You mentioned separation of parents and their children, and here we are. Here we're back talking to Doc. Here we are, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Doc and immigration, uh, immigration policies. And so, um, Erlinda, give me an idea of, of – of, and, and so – People that can't see us, or Linda, you are obviously you are Hispanic, representing a Latino population, uh, and, and and Thomas, who uh, I don't believe you mentioned your last name, Thomas Palmer, yes, uh, is African American. Uh, so we're really able to get all sides here: youth, you know, minority, uh, gender um, uh, of what's going on and right you now too, politically, Jeff. and me too. <laughs> hey. I'm a Jew, so I got a, I got a, I got a side I got that side of things covered. So, uh, we, which which falls into certain aspects of, of this uh, election as well. So, you know, guys, let's just get right into the middle of this issue. I'd like to just spend a little time and hear from your perspective. What are the issues that really count for you today? You know, the local issues, the national issues. What are the things that you are really paying attention to? Local issues that I'm paying attention to are um, gentrification here in Dallas and as well as um, our schools. So education, national issues, federal issues would be immigration, um, one of them, as well as health care for everybody. Okay. I would say for me, the biggest issue that I feel affects us on a local level is the idea of... um, our communities be becoming stratified. People no longer wanting to work together for the common goal. So I feel like the biggest issue locally for me is the fact that the United States and every local government there is is so uh, separated that there's no one wanting to work together. And for a, a national issue, my biggest ideal is um, like health care. Like I care very greatly about uh, my status in the United States when it comes to having availability to health care in the future. So I am shocked that I heard both of you, both of you talk about health care, but none of you talked about free tuition or student loans. See, I would it, expect it as students. You guys would be all over that. You know, <laughs> What's up with that? See, when it comes to that, I, for the most part, and there are a plethora of people on campus who probably disagree with me when I say this, but I consider myself more of a democratic conservative. So when it comes to things like, you know, free tuition, I think that it's a great ideal for, you know, myself to have free tuition right now because I'm in college. But I know 20 years down the line that when our national deficit is beyond what even the 1% can handle, that is not something that I w- I'm going to want to have to deal with then. Student loans is definitely something that um, is important for all of us as students um, because, you know, we go to school and then we get in depth. Um, um, Betsy DeVos, I believe is her name. Um, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of her. (laughs) But if we can get a new administration in the White House with a better secretary of education, then definitely I'm all for that. Yeah, no, Betsy DeVos is definitely someone who benefits greatly from student debt. And I think that's the biggest issue. I don't think free tuition is the issue that most students are worried about because I, I, I believe that most students would think free, like tuition is a part of the college experience. Having to pay for something makes it a greater value. But the idea that we're having to pay so much that the debt coming out of college outweighs anything that you know we learned in college and the fact that 
the 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 head of the Department of Education literally benefits from our debt is was disconcerting. Yeah, we're living in an upside down world right now where it seems like uh, every department that is part of the government that is a, a an appointee of this president is actually the opposite of what you would expect to head those departments. The head of the EPA is 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 about big coal. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and so everything seems to be upside down right now. Um, I do want to talk about now voter participation, okay? Uh, traditionally, older folks go to the polls. Younger folks, they may seem like they're engaged. They may talk a good game. Then they don't get to the polls. This election is fascinating in that there are so many young people who are now eligible to vote for the first time. So many minorities who are eligible to vote and can make a huge impact. Do you guys feel like your peers are as engaged as you are or or more engaged now than in 2016 after what's gone on in these four years? And are you anticipating your peers in large numbers to go to the polls? Thomas? Honestly, I would say that's one of the great things about Donald Trump is that he has a very specific type of insanity <laughs> that scares even the youngest of people. And he posts that insanity on one of the biggest you know, social media sites so that young people can see it. So I think one of the great things about having uh, a president like Donald Trump in, the, in office is that he's motivated young people like myself who, um, who I guess would normally not have as much interest in the voting process to really want to get out and vote and really want to make a change in the sense that we're tired of having a embarrassment in the in the White House. So I think that's one of the biggest things about what's pushing young people to want to vote nowadays. Yeah, but let me just let me cut in there for a second because again, I'm an independent. Uh, I lean more Democrat than I do Republican, but I'm an independent voter. Aren't we going through a really wonderful time in our economy today? Jobs are very <laughs> plentiful across the country, low unemployment, plenty of jobs in Texas, companies moving here left and right. I, I forget, what's the statistic, Jeff? How many companies are moving here, you know, every week, month or something coming into North Texas area? Isn't this, we've experienced a wonderful economy. What's, what's not to like for young students who are coming out of school who are looking for jobs? Well, if you look at the economy, and I and I will let Helena get in on that uh, question uh, also is, but when you look at the economy itself, you have to understand that. And I'm no I'm no econo- uh, economist, but <laughs> you have to understand that for the most part, the growth in the economy that we see today is the leftovers is is the growth that you would have seen had Barack Obama had a third term. It it was an upward spiral, but and. And technically, it's kind of a stagnant, a slow upward spiral. So it's, it's going up, and, and unemployment is down, which is great, but it's down no more than it would have been at the end of Barack Obama's term. Yeah, because it takes about, it takes, for in order for you to see if a president was successful in his, uh, at, in his presidency, in his term, it takes um, after his, after he's already out of office to start seeing those results. Yeah, so I wouldn't give Donald Trump credit for that. And if you were, <laughs> and you were to listen to Bernie Sanders, the only people who are actually benefiting from our great economy are the one percent. 
Well, and, and the, well, the, the Trump tax cuts, I mean, yeah. I think we, we all can agree on that. It went to the wealthiest. It went to corporations. Amazon pays zero taxes. The workers who slave away in Amazon warehouses are paying more in taxes than Amazon pays in taxes. That's so true. there's something wrong there. Yeah. And we have a deficit that is out of control and going to crash. I, I call this an imaginary an, an imaginary economy. I want to get back to Helen. Talk to us about whether there's enthusiasm for young people to come out and vote this time around. I think there is, um, because when it was Hillary versus Trump, people were not as as excited. I was very excited because it was the woman who was going to break that glass ceiling. Um, So after Trump won, it was like a reality check for everybody. This guy is really in the White House. After that, you started seeing, after the first day he took office, you started seeing numbers of women organizing, marching, to um, protest his presidency and the way he has been disrespecting women since he became president and announced that he was going to run for president. So I do see that more young people are more excited um, that now that they're going to go out to vote and they are getting more involved because back then it's like, oh, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect me. But now that you're seeing... But is that excitement really translating just beyond the presidential race into excitement about politics, excitement about the local races, excitement about council members or uh, the county commissioner or the um, our representatives down in Austin? Is that really an excitement that's translating beyond the presidential race? Or is it really just about the presidential race and then everybody will go home for four years? I think... Um We've always struggled to get more attention towards those different um, races. But I definitely think that young people are paying more attention um, now on who our leaders are at city council, at our um, county, uh, our county commissioners and our uh, president and mayors are. You know, Jeff, when you and I were coming up, we had this class called civics. You know, we actually learned how the government worked. I imagine they teach that in political science majors. But I doubt that the rest of the students here at, uh, at the university are experiencing anything around learning about civics, learning about government, learning how things actually get done and how yeah. things work. I actually yeah. want to make a comment about mm-hmm. that. I attended Maple Lawn Elementary School. Um, that's on, North, on Maple uh, neighborhood here in Dallas. So when I was a fourth grader, we had SMU students who would come uh, teach in our – who would teach us about the government and the – three branches of government. So that it by itself as a young, pre, exposing that to me as a young person, as a really young person, excited me more about it and made me want to learn more. So why aren't we doing that anymore? Good question. Yeah. You hear that a lot. Are we not? I mean, is that really the case in growing elementary school, middle school, that there's really not civics courses, that, that we're not learning how the government functions? See, I think one of the problems with that is that people have – an uncomfortability when it comes to speaking about politics. And it's difficult. I always tell people my favorite thing to talk about is politics. But it's hard to find someone who's interested and intrigued enough about politics or who aren't so quick to assume that I'm attacking them right. to talk about politics. So, But, but, to, the, but to that point is I don't think that teaching civics is something that's been so dispersed out of our um, out of our curriculum as much as it is now that we're living civics. 
Because what most people don't understand is that everyone has an emotion about something. Everyone has a feeling about how the school is doing, how the roads look, how our um, policing is, and all that is civics. All that it goes into what how the government behaves in our local communities. Thus, everyone has an, an idea of, of what civics is. So can you have a comfortable conversation with other students about politics? Because I know sometimes as adults, I know what I'm experiencing now, I go into um, um, happy hour or, or party or gathering, a dinner or something like that, and everybody stays about as far away from politics as they possibly can because it's become an, a, a place of taboo. You know, you don't want to offend yeah. anybody. You don't want to get one side versus the other side. Is that the same for you guys now? Maybe because it's a controversial uh, people see it as controversial, but I always tell my friends, I'm not trying to shove politics down your throat. Mm-hmm. You don't have to love politics, but it's something that you have to know. You have to just know and be aware of. Um, and you have to talk about them. Even if you don't disagree, or even if you disagree with me, it's okay to disagree with me. But let's talk about these points, and let's yeah. talk about these topics yeah. and these candidates. Well, and I think a big, big issue with people talking about politics is from my point of view, to me, the Republican Party no longer really exists in what its ideals are. It is something completely different, and it seems now that that the ideals that people who are firmly entrenched in the Republican Party, the Senate basically, are at these base fundamental values of race um, and, and issues such as that that is really separating people and making it very difficult for anyone to talk about politics in a general sense and and, and even what democracy means anymore. Um, for myself, I have a fear I have a real fear that we are losing democracy. Do you guys get that sense? Do you guys feel that way that that our way of government is slipping away if we are not careful in this next election? Do you feel your your peers feel that way? I definitely know that the more and more um, I see and I experience the um, the activities of our current administration and I see the actions taken by the conservative um, uh, senators and, and House representatives that it, it feels like a monarchy. And I say that with the utmost ignorance because I've never lived in a, in a monarchy None of us have, right. But I know for a fact that the democracy that I grew up in, where discourse was welcome, but it didn't turn into a shouting match, it didn't turn into a cursing match, how many how many bad words can I say to you before you stop talking? And it also wasn't a a government where the entirety of one party basically bends over to the president. I used to tell people all the time that when I vote, I will honestly vote the same. I will always vote a, a Democratic president and a Republican senator and a Republican House House representative because I feel like there should be the the balance. But now it's there there's there wouldn't be any idea of a balance when it comes to the Republican Party. We have terms such as loyalists in this country now. If you're not a loyalist, you're out. Mm-hmm. We just saw that the DNI. I mean, our, our we have corruption invading the Justice Department, corruption invading the, the Department of Defense. If you're not a loyalist, whatever that means, 
year round. It, it's hard to have debates when when you talk f- facts that, that don't exist. When you talk about people having to be loyal and and, and that nature. So and, and that's where I wonder if others are seeing that the you know younger generation is seeing that in, I definitely, in terms of getting out. Um, I think that our democracy it's at stake because um, of what Trump is doing. We see we saw what happened uh, during the trial of impeachment where um, Donald Trump was acquitted and he's he admitted that what he did was wrong. Right. But he still came out clean. Right. So I definitely do believe that our democracy it's at stake and young people are paying attention to that and it's going to it's going to cost them to come out. And vote. And to your point about the corruption that we see, you know, in our in our administration, I can honestly say before the the Trump administration, I have never known who the attorney general was. <laughs> right. But this year long, I have learned more about Bill Barr than I've ever than I've learned about Trump. Yeah. Because of the fact that you you expect the attorney general to be to be a independent entity, someone who who wouldn't bend over to Trump. But within the last couple of weeks, we've only seen that. Yeah. Attention UNT Dallas students. Does your resume need tweaking? Or are you in search of an internship? Better yet, are you looking to start a business? Well, our career services department is where you need to be. Under the direction of Arthur Lumsey Jr., this department provides career tips and guidance to get your professional journey on the right path. For more information, send an email to careerservices at untdallas.edu. And remember, everyone, blaze your trail. A lot of amazing things going on. I I would like to see if we could turn this now to the Super Tuesday election and and talk about some of the candidates. Let's just get right into it. Who are you voting for? Feel the burn. And why? (laughs) I voted for Joe Biden. Why? And I voted for Joe Biden because I thing his experience will be able to beat Donald Trump and he can get votes that Bernie cannot get votes from um, Biden can get the older generation to come out and vote and he can get some young people like myself to come out and vote as long as that white vote up north so Herlin let's let's get into this though you picked Biden I did and Biden has up to this point done so poorly in the first couple of states that uh, he's running. So I, why? Is he, why has he not gotten any traction? Um, that's something that I ask myself. Um, I don't have that answer at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> but like I said, I go back to his experience. He has been a senator. You know, he was there uh, before, so he knows how to do the job. And he, I think, in my opinion, he is what, what it takes to be Donald Trump. You know, I, I, I agree with you in the sense that he has experience. I mean... I, I think I remember him being uh, one of the youngest uh, senators ever been elect, elected at like 29 years old. Um, but I, I believe that he's not getting the traction needed because, and as sadly as it sounds, I feel like he's riding a coattail. Like, yes, he was he was the vice president, but as you saw in the second, uh, the very like the second Democratic debates when. We're talking about the great things uh, Barack Obama did. He's all for it. But when we're talking about, oh, Donald Trump uh, deported the most um, immigrants in United States history or, you know, relatively. I'm just the vice president. 
I, you know, it's like he he's not consistent, and that's one of the reasons why I feel the burn. Bernie Sanders all the way because <laughs> I love consistency. And one thing that anyone will tell you about Bernie Sanders is that he has said the same things the entirety of his life. But are they realistic? Are they realistic? Come on, let's go. Are, are his are his plans realistic? Medicare for all, free tuition for all. How is he going all? to pay for everything that he is promising? Or more even uh, more straightforward, what has he actually gotten done? In the sense of Sanders getting things done, Sanders has been more of a co-signer for a lot of things. He's He's been more of a man who knows what to represent and what to you know, push for. And the idea of how he's going to pay for it, I was actually listening to uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on The View the other day, and she was describing how people describe you know, Democratic plans in a like a three to five year term and, and you get trillions of dollars, tri- so much money that, you know, it seems like it's unattainable. But then people describe Republican plans in like one year, six months plans. And it seems more attainable. Six billion dollars. You know, we spend we spend six billion dollars on, you know, snap. So when you look at how much he how much we're really going to spend in the short term and how much we can cut from things like the military Things that we can, things that we can cut from um, other, you know, social programs. A lot of people are benefiting from social programs that don't necessarily need to benefit from social programs. That's money that I feel like we can cut. That he knows that we can cut, especially from the military, Doesn't to invest more to like the students. What, what the current administration has just proposed with their food stamp program that they're cutting with some of the other safety net programs that they're cutting. So you're telling me that Bernie's going to come right behind and, and give us uh, Medicare for all and help our health insurance and then in the same breath cut our food stamps and other safety net programs? See, but see, the difference is, though, is that what the Trump administration does is they, they, they don't just cut the money. They reallocate it to things that they feel are more beneficial to themselves. The money that uh, Trump is using to build a wall that's blowing over in the wind that that's not that's not a a purposeful reallocation of that money whereas if there's a way that we can allocate the money in an appropriate way to where we can afford that we can afford medicaid for all we can afford free tuition then that is what we can see from the Bernie Sanders administration a, a administration that's more able to reallocate the money not just not just cut it and put it somewhere where we have no idea where it goes. Do you also think that he's going to be able to get both Republican and Democrats to come together and get things done? I do believe that because Sanders is, I I feel like Bernie Sanders is one of those no-nonsense people and he describes himself as a no-nonsense person. You wouldn't see him trying to sow the vision. It's, It's, hey, let's work together. Let come to my office, come to the over office and, and show me the bill. Whereas you have the Trump administration in, in, in the Republican Senate saying that they're willing to work with Democrats. But yet you have 75 bipartisan bills from the House that are more that are more Democratic just sitting on the floor. So do you think that the Republicans are going to do what they did to Obama? They're, they're just going to not want to work with him or eventually work with him because I think that Joe Biden is more modern and more in the middle so 
he's going to be able to be able to work with both Republican and Democrats versus Bernie. I feel like he's more to the left, very far left. Oh, he's very so far left. So they're just like, no, nah, we're, we're not going to. Yeah. And, work and even with a bigger you. question before we can even get to that question is can Bernie get in the White House? Now, you, you brought up, you voted for Biden because you feel like in those really four key battleground states of, of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, and Wisconsin, areas that voted for Obama and then voted for Trump, can you think Biden can get those voters who voted for Trump to come back? But there's a big question, can Sanders get those voters to come back? And then does that pave the way for, for Trump to, to win again? See, that, that brings back into the, con- the conversation about the younger votes. See, ironically, I feel with with um, Bernie Sanders being at his age that he's pandering to a new wave of voters, people who are younger, people who want to who want to see a tad bit more socialistic Isn't ideas. Isn't it kind of strange to be the oldest guy in the race and he's pandering yeah. to the younger voters? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> which is the smartest thing? Which is the smartest thing I to do? I don't think that's the smartest thing to do because. Um, I've worked for uh, campaigns and I see this happen where people um, or candidates try to focus on a new set of voters and they want to count on them to come out to the polls. But then when it's election time and the results come in, they don't come out to vote and it costs them the election versus you have the candidate that goes after your double D's, your voters that always come out to the polls. And yeah, then they add the sprinkle to the cupcake, which is the younger voters, the new voters, and then they get more um, more votes and they win. So I don't think that um, I I still think that it's good that Bernie's doing that, but you still cannot forget about the other percentage out there. And, and I don't, I personally don't think he has what it takes to get those votes because of how far left he is. The thing is, though, he doesn't just have the votes of the younger voters. You have to you have to understand that. Of the two, Biden and and Bernie, Biden isn't looking to be a a favorite in, on on Super Tuesday to win the the heavily minority uh, states. He's not, and Bernie is. Bernie they, Bernie seems more likely to win the heavy minority states. So he he's pandering to a younger audience. But now see, Biden Biden is is counting on your vote. He's counting on the African American vote. To put we're going to see what happens in South Carolina. Yeah, one this this Saturday will be a good time. will be a good depiction of what we should expect. But if we're looking at what we've already seen, Biden isn't going very far yet. Yeah. So <laughs> l- let, let's 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 examine some of the other national candidates and tell me is you know is um, Budacek. Um, Strong mayor, good, good, um, good speaker, has a lot of policy ideas. Is your generation ready to see someone who may have um, a different kind of sexual preference become president? See, I, I, I feel as though that people make that into a, a conversation when it's not the biggest thing of him. Like one of the things that like I did I do respect about um people to just Mayor Pete is that he in his own right has his minority ideals. Like he he in his own right is a minority. 
but he doesn't focus on that. He doesn't he doesn't push that issue. One of the reasons that's one of the things that you know when Cory Booker and Kamala Harris were in the race, I didn't necessarily like how much they weighed on the fact that they were African American. Like we get it, you're African American. That's that is that is that all you have to bring to the table? That you have that 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 ideal. What makes Pete Buttigieg to me a um, a strong candidate, but also a weak candidate, is that he pushes these grassroots, you no know, like ideals that you know he comes from like the poorest of the poor, like he's the poorest man on the stage every time they have a debate. <laughs> well, he's not a millionaire or a billionaire, so <laughs> it's a, that's, that's, that's true. But it, what, what that hurts him to me is that then you should be fo- you should be focusing on that on that grassroots. You should be with the grassroots all the way through. But we see that he's not when it look when you see how where his money's coming from to fund the campaign. Like he's get, he's not is not solely grassroots. And it and it and it makes me weary the same way it made me weary when it came to Hillary Clinton and Helinda wouldn't Hillary. tell you <laughs> That you know, me and her do not agree when it comes to Hillary Clinton. That is a fact. That is a fact. <laughs> so, Hillary, what do you think uh, well, about? Uh, she lost the election too. So, <laughs> um, he's okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's just okay. He's just okay. I mean, it, it I is think, amazing. And, that, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm just saying, you know, the the, the two candidates you guys have chosen are, are you know 78 years old, both of them, and we do have Mayor Pete, who is I think 37, mm-hmm. um, and and. I actually, I, I like, I, I don't know if I'm going to vote for him. I don't know who the heck I'm voting for still on Tuesday. I think a lot of people are in that boat. But it is interesting to me that the younger candidate has not resonated with you guys. And, and it I, hasn't. And it, it must do with the, with the issues you guys are most um, concerned about in your in your lives. And, 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 and it also sort out. of reflects to me, which is actually I think is a positive thing, that you're not voting in age groups. You're voting yeah. Yeah. on yes. issues. All right. Hmm. Um, he the other day he tried to correct the candidate, telling her someone that is twice his age that she's not experienced. So to me, it's you have to do your homework before you get an A. If you don't do your homework and you don't study, you're not getting that A. So I think that um, to me, it's also disrespectful for him to try to tell individuals that have the experience that they're not experienced in certain things. And and to the point of who who he was speaking toward, Elizabeth Warren. No, not Elizabeth Warren. No. Amy. Uh, it was Amy oh, Kovacs. Yeah. That's right. right. Uh, sticking in the race. Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly. Right. So again, I got to come back on on this, Harlinda. You got two very prominent women in the race still, and you are very much a supporter of women in politics. Yes. And neither one of these women were your choices. I. Elizabeth Warren was my favorite, but I, I, I'm a realistic. I'm all about being realistic. I don't think she's going to be Donald Trump. I, so I, I went I for either. the candidate who I think can be Donald Trump. Now her plans are better than Bernie's because she can actually explain to you how she's going to pay for these things. Um, but so, I so like what about her do you think will not resonate with with? that set of voters that could determine the election. Why, why can't she beat Trump? I think because she's also um, close left like Bernie. I, I don't think she can beat Trump for the same reason that she can't beat Bernie or, or, or Joe Biden. Like you saw in, in, her, in, her la- in the last de- Democratic debate, she was very strong. She spoke very strongly. But at Mayor, at Mayor Bloomberg, who is an easy target, she, she, she. You don't see her throwing the punches at the at the big dogs on campus. You don't see you don't see her taking on. You don't see her trying to take on Joe Biden and, and take on 
uh, Bernie, Bernie Sanders. In particular, yeah. So what what gives me or Helena any type of hope that when it comes out when it comes to taking on the biggest troll in America <laughs> that she will be able to throw the big punches? Okay, but let me throw back to you, Amy. Amy's done a really good job of talking to the issues. Yeah. And she has um, strong following. She's been able to take on anybody on that stage. Why isn't she and one mo- of your choices? Like a Biden. What? It was concerning to me that she couldn't name the president of Mexico. Yeah. I think if you're running for the highest office in the United States, you have to know these questions, especially because they're neighbor. You know, yeah. it's our no, neighbor. That was surprising. Yeah. <laughs> my, my issue with Amy um, was that in the entirety of the um, 2016 election, when you saw, you know, the Republican Party that had, what, 11 members on stage at one point in time, the biggest voice you heard at all times was Donald Trump. He was always speaking. In this campaign, in this in this entire race, you, re- you don't really hear her make those big statements. You don't hear her stick out like everyone else does. And, and, and she flew so under the radar. the loudest radar. voice is the most influential voice in politics? No. The loudest voice isn't the most influential voice in politics, but the loudest voice is the one that gets the most attention. And, and, and for the most part, that worked for Trump. He got, he got the most attention, and most people stopped knowing the names of, like, I can honestly tell you the only two people other than Trump from the entire 2016 election that I remember is, Mark, is Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz. Other than other than that, I don't remember because his voice was the loudest. And and the problem with it is that she flew underneath the radar. So, not to leave them out, but let's talk about the billionaires. How do you feel about folks who are using their own money to run for the presidential office that are rich billionaires? who are espousing some issues that are very, very important. But uh, one who's been in the race for quite a while has yep. now gotten onto the stage. Tom Steyer. Right, Tom, Tom Steyer. Steyer, right. Okay. And uh, Mike Bloomberg, who's gotten in recently and has is outspending everybody by, you know, exponential amounts. Billions. $5.6 billion. I think that their history, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to talk about Bloomberg. Um, his history and his past don't help him and um, stop and frisk is a policy that um, I saw a documentary about and it's something that completely completely disqualifies him from my list and that's so, someone that I'm so not so that one thing that one policy that he's had going back 20 plus years ago disqualifies him from consideration yes it's, it's how he pushed that policy the fact like I told you earlier my biggest fear my only fear are is, poli- is police. police officers. And the fact that he could stand on the stage at any point in time in his life mm-hmm. and tell a room full of reporters that there's an easy way to tell a criminal. But if he has the money, uh, you know, and money in politics is important. So if he's if people make him the nominee and he has the money to beat Donald Trump, it may happen. Now, if he is... The candidate, if he's mm-hmm. the nominee, I mean, you're voting for him over Trump. I guess I'll have to because I don't want to not vote. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think a, a little bit the billionaires. Oh, what did you say? Yeah, go ahead. If he's the, if he's the nominee, what are you doing? 
Take so, a deep breath. <laughs> so I won't be voting for Trump. Governor Wilde is so, probably going to be on the, on the, on the, uh, the ballot also. Will you be voting also. then? Uh, Are you voting? I, I, I will definitely vote. I will never miss out on my chance to exercise my right to vote. Um, one of the biggest things I thought about doing when Trump was going up against Hillary was writing in my vote. I was going to write because I really didn't want to vote for either one of them. Um, but I, I still went for Hillary even though I didn't want to. I think if Bloomberg were to become you know, the candidate, I would honestly write in my vote because I can't endorse I can't endorse Bloomberg. But that would essentially be a vote against for it. Trump. It's one it's one of those it's, it's one of those moments where for me is a yeah. double edged sword. And either way I'm either way I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna bleed. So yeah. I might as well bleed with a with a empty conscience. Do do you think that um the feelings you have uh about um, the billionaires, whether it be Tom or or Mike, in the race now, is that commonly shared among some of your peers? Yes, um, I think majority of young people don't like the idea that the billionaire. It seems like the billionaires are trying to buy buy our vote. They're trying to like they're trying to buy the government, and that just doesn't resonate with us. Or what I've heard some of my friends uh, describe the millionaires. They describe them as the uh, blue Trumps, the Democratic Trumps. That's okay. an interesting way. But yeah, I, I, I tend to think that these two billionaires in particular get a little bit of a bad rap for being billionaires. I mean, you know, Bloomberg has a remarkable story. He, mm-hmm. he wasn't born rich. Uh, I think Tom Steyer has a, a has a remarkable story himself. And I really like Steyer. He's been on the he's been on the fight for a long time, <laughs> well before he even, uh, you know, decided to run for president. Um, so so it, it, it's an interesting deal. And, and, you know, Bloomberg's past is. is it's a tough one to swallow the the, the stop and frisk and, and his his uh, uh, underlying racism. You know he, he's apologized for it, but still his comment. It's a it's a tough one to swallow. See it, it but it doesn't seem it doesn't feel like to that point he's he's apologized, but it doesn't feel like he's apologized for the issue. Yeah, it's like it's like it's as if he he's saying I'm sorry that stop and frisk existed and I'll happen to be there. Yeah. Not that I'm sorry that I implemented stop and frisk. Yeah. So it's not it's like an empty apology to me. And honestly, when it comes to um when it comes to Tom, I respect the fact that he's still in it, honestly. And he he's pushing forward. You know, um I wanna tackle this in a little different way. I hear, you know, the campaign managers talking about, oh, we have to go capture the black vote, or we have to go capture the Hispanic vote. Do you expect, particularly among younger people, for blacks to vote one particular way or Hispanics to vote another, you know, particular way? Are we talking about monoliths or are we talking about really something that's going to surprise the uh, the political professionals in that people are going to make up their individual minds? I think that it's going to be a surprise, honestly. At this point, we just don't know with the the diversity of the candidates we have, um, some being in the middle, some being far left. Um, so I honestly think it's just going to be a surprise. But Linda, and I asked you this before we actually came on the air. Um, obviously, Hispanics aren't all going to vote the same, just like we're talking about here. But Hispanics have also voted Republican because of issues that deal with religion, abortion, mm-hmm. and so forth. Has a segment of Hispanics. A segment, right. Yeah, yeah, a segment has Trump 
erase that to where somebody who would vote or has voted Republican in the past is so uh, dismayed by what's going on right now with the current president that they'll set aside the abortion vote to vote Democrat. I think for a small percentage of those Hispanics, it has. Small percentage. Yes. Um, I'm going to use my aunt, for example. She voted for Trump. Um, and the reason why she voted for Trump was because she is a religious uh, woman and she believes um, in pro- she's a pro-life uh, person and um, she doesn't respect or view LGBT the LGBT community as something that's written in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have people like her that I think are still going to go vote conservative uh, for that it's reason. It's still amazing to me. The most unreligious man in the world. and uh, I know. He's been married how many who, times? Who, who is he's pro, been, you know, pro-abortion. Yes. I want to go back to this. All African Americans, all black people going to vote the same way? In this case, so. my reasoning for this is kind of the same as Herlinda's. It's the fact that there's no, there's, there's no one Democratic candidate. Like, there's no way that anyone can all rally around one person. So I, I can't see the the entirety of the African American vote being so, you know, singularity onto one person. It's going to be real, like up in the air. Okay, I want to switch real quick. Um, we have a U.S. Senate race that's in play right now. What are the issues? What are the things you're looking for? And who's your candidate? Um, my candidate is Roy Royce West. Um, he's done a lot of work here in um, Senate District 23. And very responsible for yes. UNT Dallas. Yes, yes, yes. The godfather. Um, so I want someone to go represent me and the U.S. House Senate that's going to hold the person in the White House accountable for things. And, and this is, the, of course, the race against John Cornyn. Yes, yes. and someone that is not going to be a loyalist like John Cornyn to Trump. Yeah. I would honestly say I think this is one of the first times I've ever, you know, f- full-fledged agree with her, Linda. You know, <laughs> <laughs> when I was, I actually, I'm actually going for Senator Royce West also. Um, but I, I've actually like met him personally, and like he, like I, I, I respect him as a human being and as a as a person as a man beyond his politics. And I agree with a lot of his politics, but. He is someone who I would morally accept as my senator. And okay. if you see, like, the things that he's done here in Dallas, he is in this community. When we had um, state troopers in the southern sector, he was there to have a meeting with his constituents, law enforcement, and elected officials, excuse me, to talk about um, these issues that affect his constituents. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd like to kind of bring this back full circle. When, when Greg opened up, he talked about when he was young, the Vietnam War was going on. You also had the civil rights movement going on. And there was lots of protests in the street. There was lots of emotion. There were young people wanting to take the country in a certain direction. This and they is were, Jeff's way of getting into this that I'm old, <laughs> older than he is. Not exactly. Experienced. Experienced. You're yeah, like a day over 25. <laughs> Thank you. He can come back. That's right. <laughs> book, him, book, him, book him on the next show. Uh, but, but, but young people came out in droves across the country because they believed in a direction they wanted to take the country. Um, we're talking about the U.S. Senate race. In 2018, uh, Beto had a campaign that really swept – this state. It was, it was it was a campaign more on emotion than substance, and I think that played out as he tried to become a U.S. presidential candidate. But 
he tapped into something and he got thousands of people uh, out. I was in Austin when he had one of his last rallies with Willie Nelson and there was like 60,000 people out there and he tapped into something. And at that moment, I thought that a singular figure would rise up in this presidential election and sort of create a wave of, of momentum and optimism that hasn't happened. Really, the opposite has happened. We still have six people in this race that nobody is really all that excited about. You guys seem to be almost like me. You, you decided on who you, you know, you pick the best one you, you think there is. And I, I'm just wondering, going back again to your peers and the, the enthusiasm for voting, are they going to come out? Is there an enthusiasm to get out and vote? Because there doesn't seem to be a, a defining moment, even though you say our democracy is on the line. That should be a defining moment. But but we're not out in the streets protesting yet. We're seeing the corruption of the government. We're not protesting. Do you feel like there is that excitement that the vote, the, the young people are going to come out and vote? I think there is because, like I mentioned, um, I've done door knocking before as well. And when I knock on a door on someone that's my age and they open the door and I'm giving them information, telling them about how to become a voter, um, a, about voter registration, they're just like, oh, okay. But I have those conversations now and their response is different than what it was in 2016. Yes, get me registered so I can go vote. And the best way to protest is going to the polls and voting yeah, that yeah, man out of yeah. office. And Thomas, tell me about... Your thoughts on the African-American vote, if you look back at the statistics in 2016, the African-American vote went down it went very from really, I think, its lowest point since 2000. Hmm. Um, if that happens again, we could be in trouble, depending on which side of the, the aisle you're on. What excitement? Do, do you see a bubbling uh, or an urgency for, for, for young people like yourself to go out and vote? Uh, first, I would like to say I kind of disagree with you okay. in the sense that I think that we do have, you know, a candidate who has that who has that uh, that urgency. Okay. Who's finding the grassroots it. movement with Bernie? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you have we, you got, we have a yeah. Bernie bro in our you, president. You have, have to, a Bernie bro. <laughs> look at and, and there we go. That's exactly what I was about to say. You have to understand that of all the candidates. None of them have the best slogans other than Bernie. <laughs> got a Bernie bro right here. I feel the burn. Not not uh, not me. We, you know, mm-hmm. Bernie Bernie Sanders has the best slogans, and, and and you can see you can see the excitement just by the slogans themselves that you like within the within the youth. And honestly, I feel like one of the biggest reasons why the, the African American vote went down so low when it came to the twenty sixteen election is that when Barack Obama first became president, we felt like we had a stake in that. In his second term. We felt like we still had a stake in that. There was something in there for us to get. Yeah. Whereas when it was, and one of the reasons again, I I was not a, a pro Hillary. Uh, I wasn't a Hillary supporter. Was that when it when it became Hillary versus Trump, there was there was nothing for us there. We we didn't feel as though that we had a foot in the in that race anymore. And I believe that right now. I honestly can't say that I expect a high percentage of African-American voters going out because I still, even I still don't feel as though there's a huge leg in it for the minority group. Maybe more for, maybe more for Latino, Latina, because that, that's who Donald Trump has vehemently attacked 
is the is the Latino pop, Latino population. But he's also been called a, a white nationalist. He's also been called a racist. Uh, you know, I mean, he told African Americans, "What do you got to lose? Vote for me." I mean, you still don't think they they feel a stake, but do feel a stake in in Bernie or, or not I, at all. I, when it comes to Bernie, there's 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 a stake in it for everyone. I feel like well, except the billionaires and one percent. Um, <laughs> Because he has an ideal, he has an idea that everyone should be able to succeed in in in, in this country based on our democracy, and that's where that state comes in for for African Americans is the sense that our biggest thing is that we've always had a boulder tied to us that there's no way for us to succeed because of the fact that everything in this country is built built around racism, built around. How can we hinder African Americans at the very core of their of their existence? And when you see a president presidency candidate uh, like Bernie uh, Sanders, who says, "Look, everyone should be equal," who a man who as old as he is, coming from that 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 Jim Crow area, from that era of of racism, who still believes from then to now that everyone should be equal. Then that 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 gives us a stake. That gives us a reason to believe in that in that dream of equality. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Jeff, all this doesn't make a difference if people who want to go out to vote don't get a chance to vote. Right. And I've been following Stacey Abrams and her efforts around voter suppression, and I just want to get a sense: Do you see real efforts here in your life to suppress votes? Oh yes, talk about that. Yeah, how the biggest the biggest way is the fact that gerrymandering still exists, and then you have the hardest way the hardest thing for African Americans and Latin Latino Latina communities is that we don't know where to vote. We don't, and when we do know where to vote, we know that it's out of our capacity to go vote. Like, what's that mean, though? Out of your capacity to vote? Like, let's be honest. If I'm trying to go, if I want to go vote on the same day that I have to go to work, what do I gain from going to vote versus losing, missing a day of work? And then, if I do miss a day of work, how far do I have to travel just to go vote? Just and how long do I have to stand in a line just to vote? So you mean those stories I hear about setting the polling times between nine and five and only having one voting machine are real? Yes. Those those are real those are real realities and reducing the number of polling stations in a lot of these in a lot of or states or changing them as well. Right. Um, I've been an election judge uh, since I was eligible to do it, and I love doing it. Um, and I rem- I know um, I've experienced um, a lady that told a oh this happened to my mom actually, and I was there, so I took care of it though. Um, my mom was in line and. I was already, you know, uh, voting, and the lady told my mom, you need to get out of line. This is only for citizens. Only citizens can vote. Mm. So my mom got out of line, and when she told me this, I obviously um, reported it and took care of it. Um, But also I think um, taking away uh, voting straight ticket is a form of um, oppressing vote because not everybody um, actually studies the ballot. They just know that they want to vote for the Democrats and it was easy. You would just go hit a button, vote, and it would be casted. And now 
people actually have to take the time to get educated on all these candidates. And real quick, you know, plug for the for the uh, University of North Texas at Dallas. This is a voting station. It is. So people, so students can come to the campus that they go to class and vote for their next senator, next president. And yeah. I would, I went to um, commissioner's court when it was being discussed, and they were really, really for this. Super Tuesday is is coming coming up quick. I know. Wait, I, wait, wait. <laughs> We've been asking you all the questions. What would you like to know from us? Because we're we're old school. <laughs> so who are you voting for? Is what I want to know. <laughs> who am I voting for? I'm actually favoring Bloomberg. I know him. Uh, I've watched what he's been able to accomplish in the city. I've watched the people he has around him. I've seen the um, the mayors that are surrounding him and supporting him. And I like what he's got to say and what he's got to do. Do I hold him accountable for stop and frisk? Absolutely, positively. But that's something that I know you're never going to see from him again. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's who I'm voting for. As I look at the at the race... Um, I've looked at several of the candidates, and I'm just, you know, I don't believe uh, Bernie, for all the enthusiasm, will be able to get anything done. Anything done in an, in an environment where there has to be compromise and things have to go back and forth. He's got nothing to trade going back and forth. Um, so I don't see how he would work out. Warren the same way. Um, Mayor Pete, in a couple other cycles, he may be a good player. Uh, Amy, Amy may be a good uh, vice presidential candidate. That's what I'm thinking. Yep, that's that's sound reasoning. And you know, I, I try to keep myself out of a depression uh, pretty much every day uh, <laughs> going through all this because, like I said, I, I had these uh, visions of of a singular figure coming up and really uniting the Democratic Party, and 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 really the parties just coming apart uh, at the seams, and, and nobody seems to know who 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 should win this thing. Bernie scares the heck out of me. I like some of his ideas. But I think he goes too far, and I, and I fear that, that he won't get those critical votes that he needs, and I fear that Donald Trump becomes president uh, for life. And uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I really – my mindset, I, I'm, I'm sort of with my co-host here in that I almost see Bloomberg as the last hope. Um, I, I thought Biden initially was the guy, the, the, the common sense, the, the moderate who, who could fill the gap. Get Trump out of here, fill the gap for four years, hopefully pick a good vice president who could then take the mantle from there, and we're off on a progressive wonderland, right? But well, uh, see, but my question to you about yeah. to you to you both is Bloomberg and Trump are in a lot of ways alike. No. Oh no! Absolutely. When it comes when it comes no. to finance, no. when it comes to finance, not no. personality wise, like when but when it comes to like finances, who they know and who they know in the, in the, in in this country, the people, the well, big names. L- l- let's put it this way, real quick. Trump Trump was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He he was gifted all of his money. Bloomberg is a self made billionaire. Uh, Trump is, is an ignoramus. He. Uh, well, he, I wouldn't go that far. I, I would. I would go I that far. I don't think that's far enough. <laughs> not far enough. Uh, but he he wants to be an authoritarian. He 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 loves the authoritarians. He doesn't know anything about U.S. history or the Constitution. Uh, Bloomberg again to me would be a, a good stopgap to stop the insanity, get all of our institutions back in line, uh, and, and we need to flip and, the Senate too. If you too. care about local, really local issues, if you see who are the mayors in the United States really supporting, it's Bloomberg yeah. because. He's figured out how to support them. 
He also gave away $4.8 billion last year to nonprofit organizations. That's the other thing. He is, he is a major philanthropist, completely what Trump is not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know that Bloomberg is my first choice, but he may be my only choice. Yeah. So. You we'll know, be making that choice respect, Super Tuesday. Yeah, we sure it. will. We sure will. All right. Well, what a great uh, show, uh, the Urban Advantage podcast, the voice of UNT Dallas, the voice of Southern Dallas. Thank you to my co-host, Greg, our, our two great guests, Thomas or Linda. Thank you so much for being here, and uh, Thank we'll you so see what happens. Us. Thank you for having us. The Urban Advantage Podcast is a production of UNT Dallas and recorded on campus in Southern Oak Cliff. Our hosts are Jeff Kaplan and Greg Campbell. Our production team is Jared Horn, Shania Anderson, and the voice talents of Dean Boyd. If you like the show, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow at UNT Dallas on any social media. For more information or to reach out, head to our home at untdallas.edu slash urbanadvantage.